It's a film with three brains. 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 Oh my god, you guys are freaks. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for the man of the century. Charlie Parker's in town. Jazz will never be the same. Charlie Yardbird Parker, a man who knew no boundaries. Bird, produced and directed by Clint Eastwood. Welcome to the film with three brains. It's Sam in San Francisco. And this is Sean in Chicago. And this is Cohen in a little town in New Jersey just outside of New York named Maplewood. Thanks for the description. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We are reviewing the 1988 biopic Bird about Charlie Parker, uh, directed by Clint Eastwood and starring Forrest Whitaker. Either of you guys seen this before? No. Pretty sure I did, but it wasn't very memorable. So this is kind of my first viewing. I mean, I, I remembered watching a jazz movie and not really understanding what the hell was going on but i was a kid and i didn't you know i was watching it because of my dad i'm pretty sure so <laughs> so kind of a, kind of a maybe <laughs> did you so like otherwise it? <laughs> did i like it that's a good question am i starting is, is that what's happening Sh- well, I can, I can give, okay, here, if you want to postpone for a second, put your thoughts together, Ooh, I can give a synopsis. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so Charlie Parker uh, was a jazz musician who in the 1940s was, uh, became famous in by, what was it, uh, the end of the 50s, he ends up dead from 55. Drugs. Yeah, most of the movie takes place in 54, like the... Um, what we what like the present day scenes i think are you know that in the context of the film i think are 1954 sure <laughs> it doesn't yeah <laughs> it doesn't with 1955 right so, yeah yeah so i mean it just it doesn't really have a synopsis it's just following him around i think <laughs> yeah you know, like yeah. you know yeah. it's, it really it is because yeah, it's yeah. I mean, we can get I mean, it's into like the... a, it's a character study, you know, it's a, a day in the life of this dude, but yeah, know, bunch of days. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now you can answer the question. Sean. <laughs> okay. Well, when you were talking about the, the life and, you know, sort of the following someone uh, famous and especially a musician, I couldn't help but think about Ray about, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Ray Charles, um, and how good that was, how, I mean, yeah. at least I thought it was, I thought it was pretty great. I sure. thought Ray was great. Um, Jamie Foxx, I mean, Forrest Whitaker has kind of, is in that realm. They're both kind of um, did a really good take on a famous person, which I think is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably a little easier in this case because we don't have a lot to go on with, with uh, Bird. Um and I think that for what I guess Clint Eastwood is trying to purvey, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, well done. Um, my main gripe is about his focus. His focus is on, um, Charlie's struggles with, with life and with drugs and with alcohol and with, uh, having a family and, and just he's just he's just always struggling he's just a struggling person yeah and I wish it would have been I wish it would have brought out more of the sort of the ensemble nature of music because I feel like he was just you know he wanted to he, he did a lot of shots of Charlie on stage you know Charlie going crazy you know on, on you know soloing like crazy and he's this amazing musician and it's great but you didn't see the amazing musicians he was playing with Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of them and some of them he just completely left out. Like I don't remember seeing Miles Davis in this movie. No, I don't think so. I don't think, which is kind of a big, yeah. I mean, they started together. 
in the same in this in one of the older bands. So I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly appreciated the, you know, I liked because I, I do like jazz. I think it's I think it's an important story to tell, especially now that we're even further away from it. I mean, this is going way back in time. And we're going way back in a movie that's already going way back in time. So I think it's important to to like kind of honor the tradition of jazz and all that stuff. But I just feel like he he got a little carried away with his his love affair with Charlie Parker. Yeah, I would agree with that. It seems like the music was certainly played second fiddle to just Charlie Parker's like personal struggles. It's like it's like this. It's like this was a sequel to a film that was called like Bird Begins, you know, where you learn about Charlie Parker, the musician, mm-hmm. and that in that movie, you know, would have been really interesting, all about jazz and his influence, the people he played with, and then there's this. Yeah, yeah. You just hit on my biggest gripe is that is that if you're gonna make a biopic about someone, you need to you need to tell us like why they're special like what how they how they got there and even like when there's controversy they didn't even they just glossed right over it Mm -hmm. um like it seemed weird to have to go and read a bunch about him to fill in all the gaps that the movie yeah yeah didn't didn't have like especially like you have a movie about a drug addict and you don't even tell us why he's a drugger, how he became, or any they of the do. origin of they, that. They talk about it briefly. It's yeah, very it's young, fun. apparently. Didn't, didn't he say, like, when he was a teenager, yeah. he was 15 yeah. and he was already hooked? Yeah. yeah, and he said he woke up and he was in this, you know, he, he discovered what it was like to withdraw at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. But then I was reading different sites and they're like, well, he got hit by a car. They say that, though. And that... Wait, movie says it? that, but they say it very briefly. briefly. And they kind of, they... yeah. But I mean, that, but the, that's the, my my whole point is like, yeah, it's like all of these things, like they. It feels know, like there should have been a don't scene. Tell, you know, like there should have yeah. been a scene, right? Just one scene, right? You know, they're bouncing all over, you know, back and forth through all these different times in his life, and we're seeing his struggles with, with su- substance abuse, and and you know, knowing why. It, having a scene that it sort of sets it up seems like kind of an important thing. Mm-hmm. And same with, if this, if this is your focus for this film, I think it's really hard to, to make a, I mean, if you're making a biopic, you're either saying here's where this person started from and how they got there, or here's what this person's right, right now is what they're doing. And it's so, it's so far beyond like a normal life. You're going to be interested, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's it's almost all of them are one or the other or if not both yeah and if this also sorry go ahead i was gonna say if if this one doesn't do the the first part like this is where they started and this is how they got here if you say okay that's that's bird version 1.0 that we didn't get to see that film Mm -hmm. then you say okay well what's so special about what he's doing now and if you know a lot about jazz it might be obvious but the fact that He's credited with creating a whole separate, you know, genre or, or movement of jazz is really understated. Yeah. And then the fact that some people were actually against it, like when they went <laughs> out to L.A. and they got their shows canceled, would have been a perfect time to be like, hey, people don't think your jazz, your style, is, you know, I don't know if you read about, it, but people people said it was corrupting the young minds of you know, people. You know, like it's ridiculous. It's like a, a, a guy with a saxophone is not corrupting yeah. minds. Like, yeah, well, they didn't have rock and roll to, to criticize yet, so they had to criticize jazz. Yeah. Right, but that would have been really important to show in there. Like, you know, this is you know what you're doing is so new that some people hate it, and some people actually think it's like I said, polluting minds. Like, yeah. which is also mind blowing. Like those are important things to be happening at that time, um, that that were totally glossed over. Yeah, I'm I'm like the perfect audience for the for that that critique because, I mean, I know I've heard of Charlie Parker. I'm aware he exists. I know that he was a jazz musician. He was important. I didn't know just how important he was, 
I looked it up after I watched the movie or before, I don't remember, whatever, both probably, and just kind of read up about him a little bit. And I was like, oh, like he's arguably, arguably like up there with the most important people in jazz. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, top two yeah. or three. Short list. Yeah. You know, I, and the movie does not impart that. <laughs> I mean, they impart yeah. that he's yeah. like, he's a star and people love him and he's very influential, I guess. And the other musicians certainly respect him. But as for me personally watching that movie, I, did, I didn't really get it. it, it you know, it, 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 it was so hyper-focused on his foibles and his struggles and, you know, the, yeah. the music part of it was sort of just kind of you know, pushed to the background a little bit, which is a little odd. And I feel like this movie, more than anything else, it, it, and it's not its it's not its fault, set up this sort of structure that has been followed to a fault by music biopics ever since, which is, all right, we already know this person's a music superstar. We know their contributions, so let's just focus on their personal issues and their drug, their substance abuse issues and stuff like that. Right. And they almost all of them do it. And I, it, after a while, it's just it gets a little tedious, you know. Well, yeah, it's it's a it's a bleak start when he when he starts with the the suicide attempt, right? Yeah. I mean, we see him coming home and having this really awkward conversation with his wife, and she's obviously ready for all help like to break loose and then he drinks iodine and he's in the hospital and then you know then they kind of wrap around to come back to that but when it starts you're just like who the hell is this guy you know yeah. in in a way i mean you know who he is but you're still like whoa what yeah what's happening i mean he's is he you know and then you under by, by the time it came back around i was like there was so much more context i was like oh okay so that you know the death of his daughter just happened and that whole thing and mm-hmm. he'd been in California and all that stuff. So it's just a weird, it's a weird, I mean, I guess you have to you'd be linear about it and, and kind of do what Sam was saying, which is like, let's, let's see about what this accident was like, which was when he was 16, by the way. Yeah. I'm just looking at it now like that. And then it also says that he spent a great deal. Um, he spent a lot of time working on his, on his craft when he, after the accident, you know what I mean? Like that's, mm-hmm. so right. you could even argue that the accident was, was part of what made him great. You sure. know? Right. Well, that was, yeah, I didn't even say that. That was the other thing. It's like, okay, you have a guy who picked up the saxophone who came from nothing. When did he get that? And where did that inspiration come from? Mm-hmm. You know, and they do have the cutback to him when he's a kid on a porch playing saxophone <laughs> and that's it. I will say to, to that end, the the th- I I did like I really liked the way it started, and I agree with you. It'd been nice to see him somehow to to learn a little bit more about it. But I liked this this sort of efficiency of the first shot, which is just him uh, him as a little kid on a farm, bunch of chickens, looking mm-hmm. very poor. But and then hurts. the next shot is him on the porch playing the 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 saxophone and then the next just jumps right in him and as an adult that you know those scenes leading into yeah. his the iodine thing like that such a simple setup you know like it tells that told so much story in such two simple shots right mm-hmm. there and yeah. that i appreciate and that's what the, the and the thing i like about this movie i i didn't dislike it i liked it actually but everything we've discussed so far is like what we consider flaws but if you set that aside and just watch it or, uh, you know, appreciate it for what it is. I found the, at first I saw, I found the sort of nonlinear structure a little distracting, but then I, it, it falls into like a, it, it finds a rhythm, you know, I fell into yeah. a rhythm with it and I started to really appreciate sort of the, um, the sort of dissident nature it starts to make you feel you know like you start to it, you know it's the whole idea is that you i think that they're trying to make you sort of feel his discombobulation with life you know mm. and you're bouncing around and you're seeing these scenes and you're getting snippets and and it's dark and it's fast and it's loud and it's distracting and it's weird and it's unsettling and i thought i found it really effective from like a filmmaking perspective you know, whatever, you know, what Clint Eastwood, I would imagine, was trying to achieve with this. And I think he did in that regard. I feel like he did what he set out to do and he did it well. I just, I'm not a, I'm not a jazz aficionado. So 
it, mm. it feels like it was made for people who are jazz fans and already know all yeah. of the stuff that the movie doesn't tell you. I'm not, this is, I don't know if this uh, is an agreement with you, but the symbol flying across the room and then landing mm-hmm. at first I thought it was lame because mm-hmm. it, it's sort of a retelling of a, of a, an original story from Count Basie's orchestra, mm-hmm. which I didn't know until I read it. I wasn't like, I'm not, I'm not that, I, I'm not, I don't know that much about jazz or anything. Um, but when, but then it comes back around, like he uses that, I think twice. And then mm-hmm. a third time at the time of his death. Mm-hmm. And the third time I was like, ah, yeah, now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> now I see why you did that. Yeah. But at the, t- at the, and the first time I was like, what? It felt a little hokey. It felt, it felt hokey. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. But I so agree you, with you. You have to I have think. patience, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, I, no, I totally agree that the, the nonlinear part of the story is fine. And a lot of other people do that. And I just, I just think some of the, the, some of the important elements should have been there. And then the other thing too, you said, okay, this is a movie for people who already know and love him. And I think that that probably is, is, is true. Um, If you read about that, they got recordings from Chan and then, you know, went through and digitized them and touched them up and all that. So, so when people were watching this movie, who really knew his work, they were hearing things, recordings of him actually playing that they didn't have ever before. Hmm. So like if you're, you know, like, okay, you know, recently watching montage of heck, like all of a sudden you, you hear this really early, you know, Kurt Cobain, you know, just sitting by himself playing something and making something up and you're like, holy crap, you know, that ends up being a super famous song, you know, and, and here's this recording that they dug out that you're not going to ever find anywhere else. Like if you're already in that circle and you already like the artist, you're like, that's cool, you know, and, and you, in some ways you can't get enough of that. And so that's why they had these really long scenes with these, you know, with him playing to, to really show off that music, which I thought was great. I mean, that's fine. Um, I think that, that that's, that is the fun of these movies. You know, the queen movie too is, is seeing how how songs came about and and then hearing them, um, but yeah. So for this one, I was like, okay, I'm just part of part of this is just lost on me because I'm too removed from his his music, you know, mm-hmm. sure. to yeah. to know how special it was. Well, but I think I think as just like a, a piece of storytelling, if you can set that aside and just watch it. It's sort of like before we started, Sean and I were talking about the Han Solo movie. And like, if you can set aside the bad casting in that kid and like just watch it as a movie, like a sci-fi action movie, and don't consider it Han Solo movie at all, then it's pretty good. And so I I look at this in that, I was kind of watching that or thinking about this afterwards, like thinking of this as a film, not about someone super famous, just about a dude, you know? Mm-hmm. where the the backstory and his fame and his music doesn't matter you know that's not the point of it and then for me it it's effective it works it's good mm-hmm. yeah i mean it, i you know it ended i was like oh it's over it's long it's two hours and 40 minutes and it didn't feel yeah. that long no it doesn't i was surprised um, I was surprised it didn't, I, you know, at no, at no point was I like looking at the clock going, oh my fucking God, is this going to end? Hmm. You know, I wasn't, I was absorbed in it. I'm kind of surprised by that because one, the subject material is, is not your favorite. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also, yeah, yeah, I guess, it, I guess it's kind of, well, I think the exactly performances what were fantastic. Is, yeah. Oh yeah. Across yeah. the board. Performances yeah. are so good in this. The, and you know, it's, it's a well-made film. Yeah. And it's effective, you know, for all its flaws, it's very effective in what he's, I think, in what he was trying to do. I mean, obviously I'm not a mind reader, just (laughs) guessing, you know. Um, Yeah, I don't know anything about jazz. And honestly, I don't give a shit about the saxophone. I find it a little off-putting, actually. (laughs) The sound of it, it just doesn't do anything for me. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To me, it it sounds like a kazoo, you know, like, oh, okay. (laughs) If I ever... (laughs) Have I ever get, told you guys my daydream about the saxophone? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I had this weird daydream where I pretend that 
all the all the songs from like roughly 1975 to 1990 that have the saxophone in it you know because oh wait some, maybe you did go ahead yeah that it's all just one guy yeah, yeah. He's, all just, <laughs> he's all just looking for gigs like if it was a movie he's like oh i got a gig i'm gonna be in a you know sheen easton song you know or whatever yeah <laughs> so i think just when one... we did we did the lost boys and, the, and it's kind of true because that guy just thinking was about that guy yeah yeah yep. <laughs> and he's so every time i hear it yeah <laughs> um this is a small spoiler but i think it's worth it that 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 guy has a great cameo in the show Reservation Dogs, which I've told you guys, is, I think is really good. But <laughs> he pops up for that very reason. He's like, oh, the guy with the saxophone. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have to watch it. That's great. I, so, you know, uh, one of the things you could kind of, you know, when I picked this movie, you jokingly said, oh, you're going off the heroin theme. Right. Because um, we had <laughs> just watched Train Spotting, right. which was not my intention. Yeah. But having the two right next to each other, like, oh my gosh, could you portray the heroin lifestyle any differently? <laughs> like, I mean, like, I mean, the the chaotic craziness of train spotting and just whatever versus this like mellow, like nonchalantly addicted and knows yeah. it's gonna kill him and he's just like, yep, just kind of shrugs yeah. like that's how it's I'm, gonna be. I'm different, he says. You know, yeah. It just it was weird because. You know, you they you give these flashbacks, like certain things in his life haunt him, and but at the same time, he's totally accepting of like who he is, all his flaws, and where where that road's gonna end. Yeah, you know, it's very very different than than train spotting. Isn't yeah. it weird to think that when he went to L.A., there weren't the kind of drugs he wanted out there. Like <laughs> yeah. when you think about drugs, you're like, okay, well they're just everywhere. Right. I mean, they, because transportation is better and you know, the world is just smaller than it used to be. But <laughs> I just thought that was so odd. Like, so what do they have out there? They don't, is, has cocaine hit, hit out there yet? I mean, you know, this is forties and fifties. I guess fifties is what they, like you were saying, it was mostly 54 that time yeah. period. It's crazy. It's it was weird, 35 weird when he died. Or yeah. 34. What did you think? Of, so apparently that, that when the, the doctor who comes to her, so comes to the house and pronounces him dead, mm-hmm. says, you know, it says what, approximately 65 or 60 years of age or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought that but, was so odd, but, I, but apparently that's, that's based on a true story. You know, yeah. Oh, really? That he said, Jesus. It, they estimated he was 50 to 60 and he was 35. Wow. But it was just, but the way it was presented, like over the phone, like that, was yeah. odd. Yeah, it felt um, the the way it came across was probably unintendedly um, comic, almost. Yeah. Just like what? What do you say? I mean, you're, you're trying to say he's had a really hard life, and I can't believe it. Yeah. You know. But I mean, just to to have that sort of effect, you know, by the age of thirty four is pretty. Cr- you know, to have that sort of influence. Oh, sorry, 34. Not... Yeah, 34. It's pretty, pretty nuts. Yeah, he made it seven years longer than a lot of the other famous uh Well, the 27-year-olds? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't believe he he could... I think at one point in the West Coast, he... He he get, he uh, uses and then he, and then he goes and does a gig. Like he chills out first, and then he goes to play mm-hmm. the gig. I'm like, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, I mean, I was, I'm assuming it's like an hour or two passes, and then he's had some drinks and blah blah blah, and then he's, but I mean, how can you get on stage and perform that well? Yeah, when you're on, I mean, that specifically heroin. I mean, that like, you just want to sit down and you know, especially so from what from what I understand, and it's not much, but bebop. And and Charlie Parker were different because they, you know, the speed at which he he could improvise and the you know the scales he would be up and down and um it's not it's not like like when I think of like you know the jazz after this after this period it's more like Miles Davis which is somber you know sedate mm-hmm. you know it's like it's that I can see like okay. <laughs> You can imagine Miles Miles Davis being high and be like, "Okay, I'm just gonna play these two notes and then I'm gonna <laughs> sit here in my shades and yeah, 
Um, but there's there's more to it than that. But I'm just saying, I just can't I just can't believe he would he would get up and perform and and do a good job. It's just amazing. Yeah. Maybe he had some ungodly tolerance for for the drugs and stuff. But. Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> yeah, I just wish. I mean, because there's there's one little. I think he's talking to to some. I maybe Red. Um. What is it? Red's name? Whatever. The trumpet player that, that he yeah, tours Red, with. Red oh, Rodney. Red Rodney. Yeah. Red Rodney. Who was Albino, who right? was a consultant on the film, which I think is why he's so important, why he pops up so often, because <laughs> he really shouldn't. I think he got an oversized role. <laughs> um, but anyway, he like is explaining how he can see the the change. He can sort of like he 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 gives the insight into what he is actually doing. And he's like, yeah, that's why I'm you know playing whatever you know. He kind of tells him, explains his genius to his friend. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's a little too, it's above our heads, but, but it is important because no one else was doing that, you know, like that he was doing things that no one else could really do. Yeah. And the only, the way, only convincing way that he conveyed that was, was Keith David throwing his saxophone into the river. I mean, that was like, ah, okay. Yeah. Because people will talk like, you know, they'll talk about musicians like that. Like it makes you want to quit. It makes you want to give up when you hear someone so good at that. Sure. You just go, oh, well, what am I doing? I think that's relative to any art form. You know, when you read a book, a writer reads a book they know they could have never written. You're just like, fuck. Yeah. It's (laughs) discouraging, right? Yeah. But that was interesting. I don't know if, I don't know how true that is because the, whoever that guy that Keith David was playing comes around and, and is a big success, you know, at the Apollo Mm -hmm. or whatever he's playing. He's playing uh, Buster Franklin. Yeah. Is that, I, I don't know who that is. Yeah. Well, the reason I doubt it is because that because that symbol thing, which was supposed to be when with him was actually a Count Basie thing. When anyway, I mean it doesn't it doesn't really matter because it 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 conveys the importance of how he feels about Bird. You know that yeah. he sees the genius mm-hmm. on display and he goes, "Wow, sure. I, I can't compete with this." Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's there's something about that scene that just didn't wasn't perfect for me and it just it that took me away from i kind of excuse me i mean it wasn't until the end of the movie i was like yeah i know i really kind of you know appreciate what he did here but at that point point he was losing me i was like ah throwing the symbol what what's this what is this a little heavy-handed there in the beginning a little heavy but it's hard to do i mean i i guess if you, you know put it in context like how do you how do you tell a story about something that most people don't even understand? Yeah. You know, like how do you describe genius like that? I don't, I don't get it. I mean, that that's is how you do it. You show it through the reaction of other people. Yeah. You, you know, it's, and it is harder because we don't all know jazz. You know, if it was basketball, it's easier because we, you know, you see someone doing things that, you know, Michael Jordan or whoever does, you're like, okay, you, you have that frame of reference to know that what they're doing is consistently better than everyone else. With the, with this, it's really hard. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, um, uh, Buster Smith was, um, was Charlie Parker's mentor in the 1930s. Okay. So they, they didn't hit on that too much. Um, but that, yeah, he was, and he was actually with Count Basie for a while. Yeah. There, there's some weird, well, not weird, but when I, as I was watching it, I kept thinking that race would come up a lot more than it did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it comes up <laughs> and uh, Red Rodney, it, you think it's going to blow up in their face when they go down south. But apparently yeah. that was just a happy-go-lucky trip and everything everything was great. <laughs> he says he's an albino, which still doesn't make any sense to me. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, you're waiting for something really bad to happen, which, of course, eventually it's going to. But, um, well, no, some, some bad stuff. Like, he doesn't get credit for stuff. He doesn't, you know, he knows a lot of the recordings that are done are you know, the record company gets that money, not him. He doesn't, you know, yeah. Um, they don't explain, they don't really go into detail on that either. Like, you know, how, do, how the musicians get paid, how, 
you know, does he ha- did he have an agent? He did, right? Yeah, he had that guy. He had an agent. He had like a manager, mm-hmm. right? Manager guy. Was booking him, trying to book him shows. And then he's like, this is a good deal. But yeah, he's like, yeah, but it's in three months. That Yeah. Yeah. But then when he went to, to Paris, that was quite different. I was watching a little bit of uh, like a Miles Davis uh, documentary just to, to see if he, how he overlaps. And, mm-hmm. and it's much more... Um, is it's, it's it's stark with Miles Davis. He goes he goes over to Paris, and he uh, meets this interesting Parisian woman, you know. And they're sort of um, he's just falling in love, and he's he's in Paris, and and but the main thing is how he's treated is so different. And when he comes back from Europe, he he, you know, he's basically depressed because that whole. You know, it's like a, a a window into the world had been opened and then shut on him. You know, he went back to America mm-hmm. where people didn't see him in that way. You know, and then of course um, he gets he's outside Birdland of all places, and he's um, having a cigarette, and the cops ask him to move along, and he's like, "No, I'm I'm playing in this club here," and he's smoking a cigarette. And Miles is a pretty defiant guy anyway, but I mean, nothing that would ca- warrant getting, uh, you know pistol whipped by a detective or anything. So then he, he goes to jail and he becomes very bitter. I mean, he's been bitter, but now then he was t- completely convinced that, you know, things weren't going to work out for him as a, as a black man, you know, and it was, you know, just like missing like that was, that seems so obvious in his case. But when Charlie Parker's in Charlie Parker's story, you know, he has interracial relationships. He has friends, you know, Everywhere he doesn't really address it very much, at least in the way that Eastwood portrays it. Yeah. But I, I mean, it had to be on his mind. But I think the more important thing is that Miles and Dizzy Gillespie and all these people, like they had status because of how good they were, how appreciated they were for their art, and that transcended the the sort of the social mores that were yeah. working against them. You know, so. I mean, except for that little tour in the South, which again worked kind of in the opposite way, it wasn't really, it wasn't really a, a thing that they dealt with. But it was a big deal. Like that's, you know, how do you go on stage and get, you know, all this adulation, and then people want to hang out with you and people want to date you, and but if you're on the street and you don't have your horn or you have no, no one never recognizes you, you're just another black man. You know, that's yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe he just, I, I think he probably made a decision like, okay, I'm going to touch on this, but I don't want to, I don't want to dwell think, on it. I mean, what you're saying, it was so perfectly illustrated in that scene. If you remember when he, him and Achan are, they go out to dinner or whatever, and they're dancing, hmm. you know, and they're this interracial couple and everyone's staring at them. But the musicians are like, hey, look at them, look at them, or look at him, look at him that's Charlie Parker. And they're like, Oh my God, yeah. that's Charlie. You know, that was mm. like, and everyone else is staring at them because it's a black man and a white woman. Yeah. And the musicians know who he is. So they're like, Oh my God, yeah. that's, that's Charlie Parker. You're right. I hadn't realized how well, how well, well done that was. Yeah. Mm. That's great. <laughs> and they speak, they speak of Duke Ellington in this too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but mm-hmm. he's not a character in it. No, he's a little earlier, and Duke was was established as a band leader, and a composer and stuff. He's he's pretty he's pretty much number one. On yeah, but you know, did they? I mean, I guess I just wonder if they ever like did anything together. Were they? I mean, were they friendly or you know, I don't know. Were they rivals or were they just completely separate spheres? No, I think they were just not quite contemporary. Oh, if I'm, I could be mistaken about that. I don't. I'm not this that good at my music history, but yeah, you know. The way the way that they, I mean, they sort of put Dizzy with Bird, and then, like I said, Miles is in there, but he's not. I think they, I think he skipped Miles. Not, the more I think about it, I think that he skipped Miles because Miles changed jazz in a different way, hmm. and it was basically after Bird was gone, and Bebop was starting to die a little bit. Not die, but you know, it was kind of changed. You know, jazz itself was changing, and um, you know. So it was sort of like a different version of, mm-hmm. of, of their of their influence. You know, different influences on the same 
overall genre. But um, yeah, I can't think of anybody else that would have been really like, uh, you know, he uh, yeah, Coltrane is later. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, yeah, like Ella Fitzgerald, Duke, that you're going back to the 30s and 20s and, you know. Yeah. Was Louis Armstrong a character in this? I don't remember. They they mentioned him, but they don't. They mentioned him, but he's not there. But one of the things about Dizzy that was interesting is like um, Louis Armstrong and Dizzy both had those massive cheeks when they blow on the trumpet. (laughs) And he didn't have any, his cheeks weren't blowing up. And I'm like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and Dizzy has like a, a weird horn, like his the horn of his trumpet goes straight up, almost straight up. Um, and I thought that was a mistake. And then I read up and I was like, oh, he actually, he, Dizzy had somebody step on his horn or bend it. And uh, at first he was upset, but then he realized it was a different tone to it and he liked it. And then he started, he had someone make a, another horn just like it. And from, from then on, that's how it was, that's what those were his trumpets, these weird bell shooting yeah. up in the air. But at that time, when he was still playing with Bird, it was before someone messed up his trumpet. So, <laughs> so it's accurate. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt a lot of the accuracy of this. It's just that there's so much that you could accentuate that, you know, it's really hard to decide what's more interesting. I mean, story-wise, you, you, you go with the big stuff, like you were saying, like the, uh, in and out of rehab, like his how he deals with the tragedy. Um, but beyond that, like yeah, you could you could have had like ten or fifteen people and that were noteworthy jazz musicians that, that came in and out of his life. But you know, he wanted to focus on the the camaraderie with, with Dizzy. I guess I don't know who do you, who would you say is the most important other than his wife? Who was the most important person in this? To him. To, to him, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Keith David. I mean, Keith David in kind of a negative way, though. Well, that, you know, at least toward the end, I, I, I feel like that was that was almost a little heavy handed because he's like saying, well, we've just killed bebop. We've just killed jazz with rock and roll, you know. But I but I like that at the same time, because, you know, it showed him as the purest, you know, the person that I mean, he could have done that. He could have you know, not stuck to his art. So sort of strictly, you know, and made, mm-hmm. made more, being more profitable, more, it could have been a bigger draw, play with bigger bands, all that stuff. He could, he knows he could have done that, but he didn't believe in that. I mean, that's the other part I think is either I missed or, or I wasn't quite picking up on like, like what is he, you know, he hears things differently, but, but what does he believe in as far as music? Yeah, that's one. I think one of the other things that they kind of glossed over is: is he doing exactly what he wants to do? Is he is he being taken advantage of in a way that he doesn't want to? And and that that I mean, you could make a whole movie about the being an artist who does one thing, and then when the world changes, do you change or not? Like, are you true to mm-hmm, sure. yourself, or are you or do you play for the fans? You know, um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, like um, I think it's pretty crazy that Clint Eastwood is still alive, even though we're talking about him. Well, there's Uh more to it. He actually saw him play in 1945 in Oakland. That's crazy. Oh wow! Like that just doesn't seem possible because. When I, when I, you know, after the movie, they're like, oh yeah, when they, when he went to make this movie, he talked to Chan. I was like, Chan was still alive. And I was like, oh, well he made the movie in 1987, you know, so that's only 30 years later. And, you know, of course this is, you know, another 35 years later. And I'm yeah. like, wait, Clint Eastwood's still alive. <laughs> actually got to work with these, you know, the people who worked with him, but actually saw yeah. him play. Sure. He's 92. He's old yeah. as shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that, I, and I didn't confirm this, but this is one of his probably, if if not the, one of the top couple biggest Clint Eastwood flops as far as box office goes. Yeah. As a director? Yeah. He's got I, plenty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but this, this was is like the 12th, this is like the 12th film he directed. Oh, I know. This is, but this this is, is the a, first one that he was not in, though. 
This is the first film he, he directed that he was not in. Oh, yeah. But this lost millions of dollars. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, but it's the first movie to get him a Golden Globe and a, an Oscar out of it. And I mean, it was her best sound, but still, it's... Yeah. It's, it's well. Then another, four years later, of, a perfect world comes out. I mean, uh, Unforgiven comes out, and he just like he wins all of them. Yeah, yeah. He's Which just, is an incredible movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I just I, well, I, I'm always fascinated yeah. when when the success of the movie is so far different. You know, the commercial success has is so far different than the critics the internal <laughs> yeah. love you know like yeah like forrest whitaker won at can for acting um mm-hmm. didn't get anything else you know yeah, nominated, wasn't even nominated. <laughs> yeah but Other it's Academy. just you know it's it's just impressive like you make a movie that people who make movies love and everyone else had no interest you could just yeah. and it wasn't and that happens sometimes when people make movies about L.A. and Hollywood themselves because they, they, you know, but this wasn't about that, you know. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he was quoted as saying it was not, uh, he spent $9 million, but then it also says $14 million. So I feel like he probably had to, like, you know, save face. But I, it does prove that he, it was a labor of love. You know, he did it because he oh, was yeah. personally interested in this. He just, he thought it should be, the story should be told. That and was one of the, that's great. yeah, no, I felt like I was watching that because I felt like, you know, that's what I was saying when it, the movie's about the jazz and the sound of what you're hearing, he, the, he's going to let some of the storytelling go in exchange for these long, long scenes of here's just, just enjoy the music. Yeah. You know, which is, like I said, it's fine. Yeah. So I end, ended up renting it on um, Amazon or something and, and part of it, if not most of it, I wa- I watched on my phone with headphones, hmm. um, and it was good and bad. It was good because, of course, you know there's a lot of music and you want to hear it. It's bad because you can actually hear like when they overlaid, because yeah, the the original recordings most of them are mono, and you can hear that it sort of sounds the saxophone sounds distant. So you got Forrest Whitaker wailing away. And it sounds a little quieter than the rest of the band. I mean, I, it, I'm not saying it was bad. It was, they won a, the, the award, the Academy Award for sound. So mm-hmm. how bad could it be? But, but you could tell. You could tell that they were kind of weaving it in and out a little bit. And they had to use, sometimes they used the full, you know, they just re-recorded with, a, you know, a band. And it was, I mean, it, that's, that's a, lot, a bit of a challenge in itself because, you know, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess I don't have to go into that, but <laughs> I, I guess I just noticed a lot of the way that the way that things were sounded when they would change from, you know, camera to camera or they, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I'm just, I'm totally nitpicking. <laughs> you but can't help it. I can't help it. And I'll go, I'll keep going. The, the, way that, <laughs> the way that he moves his fingers is not as like some of them, some of the, you know, people that were not musicians and they were, they're pretending to be, um, like, especially the trumpets, they're mm-hmm. like, they're moving too much. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like with a trumpet, you can make a whole bunch of different notes without pressing any buttons, but you only have three buttons to press. So it's not like, you know, you want to sit there and just, you know, look like you're, you're not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so as far as that goes, I think that, Forrest Whitaker was was better at sort of looking like he's playing, like his breath, you know, the his neck would swell a little bit, and his breath was kind of close. And but the fingers, especially the top hand, is going crazy. And there's a lot, you know, most of this stuff is on the bottom. I I don't know. I never played saxophone. Where's Tom? We need Tom for this. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's just nitpicking, and it's just stuff you would notice if you're really paying attention and you're just trying to like look for stuff for flaws. If you listen to music, you're just like, yeah, it sounds good. It sounds, it seems like he's really playing it, you know. Forrest Whitaker is a double up. Yeah, he's a double double up. Double up or triple up, yeah. 
all within a few years. Um, good morning, Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam. Why is this other one? <laughs> What's the What's other the other one? one? There's another one. It's right around that time, too. Yeah, it's the... Uh, oh, is, is he a detective? Uh, why, why is my brain just not working somebody, all of a Somebody wake up the interns. Yeah, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, stakeout. Stakeout, yes. Yes. Detective and stakeout. Yes. And the other yes. one, Keith David... Also was right around that time, 87, well, he's in, Of course, he's in They Live. He he's, is the... Mm-hmm. <laughs> in one of the most famous fight scenes of all time. Crunch, he's busy yes. crunching nuts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nut crunching Keith David. <laughs> and one more for him, too, right around that time. Oh, Forrest Whitaker's in... No, no, no. Never mind. We didn't do that. Keith David's in something else? Yeah, what is he doing? That we did? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Where the hell is it? Oh, he's in Roadhouse. Roadhouse. He's, he's a, a bartender. Bartender, yes. It's weird because those both of those are all together. Bird, They Live, Roadhouse, right together. And then same with Fortis Whitaker. They're like one after another. Mm-hmm. Strange grouping. I think that's it. I don't, I didn't find, oh, wait. Well, yeah, I guess Clint Eastwood is a double up. Yeah. yeah. As director. As director. That's pretty much it, which is amazing considering how big the cast is. Yeah. And the fact that we've done like a million movies. A million. Maybe a million, two. (laughs) Oh, I got one more. Uh, Yeah. He's real. The actor is Jason Bernard. And in this, I think he's, it's Benny Tate. I don't even know who that is. Hmm. This is one of the musicians. And he was a musician in All of Me. He was the blind saxophone player in All of Me. Well, well, well. So. Small world. Small world. <laughs> Maybe he's the one saxophone player. Yeah. That's <laughs> him. Wait, what? I, oh, right. Steve Martin played guitar. I was like, what the hell did he play? <laughs> really tying it all together with all these jazz movies. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I know I'm not going to belabor this anymore, but just a little. Um so you picked you picked this because of Clint Eastwood because it's a big movie we hadn't really talked about. Like it's kind of a weird movie to to I not know it. about. I put it on my list because somewhere a while back I found like a list of you know movies movies from the I think it I think it might have just been movies from the eighties or might have, that like that you that no one knows about like good movies from the eighties that no one knows about something along that line mm-hmm. and so I which was not true that no one knows about them because I knew pretty much every one of them with the exception of a couple. And this was this was one of them. And then when I was like, okay, look at this cast, the director, like it, it's got to have something worth a look here. Yeah. And I knew who Charlie Parker was. I just didn't know anything about him really. So I can't believe that it was it, the whole idea started with Richard Pryor. Yeah, that seems like it wouldn't have worked. It's a little too on the nose for one thing. Also, it's well, yeah. You think he was because he'd be he'd be too funny, or he'd to be what? Yeah, I don't, I don't. I, or maybe he's just not. Good I mean, maybe he could actor. do it, but it just just doesn't. I mean, Clint Eastwood didn't think he was good enough because he he dropped him. Did you see that? So, weird so what? Thing? They cast. They cast. How did that work? They cast him <laughs> and then they fired him. Well, Walt, Warner Brothers and Columbia swapped. <laughs> Did you see the movie they swapped for? Mm. Revenge. Revenge. Have you ever seen that movie? The one with Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner. I've that seen it. Ter- I don't remember. It's terrible. It's not a good movie. I don't think it's a good movie. Anyway, but he was, but that was, so I think Eastwood was attached to Revenge 
Hmm. And he said, oh, well, you guys take revenge and I'll take, I'll take this off your hands. <laughs> it's such a weird swap, but they went for hmm. it and they probably regretted it considering the box office. But I mean, <laughs> it's just such a weird thing. Yeah. So he, I, apparently he, he just recast, he just said like, okay, I'm going to give, I don't know how he found Forrest Whitaker didn't really say. Huh. Um, but I can they see they wanted that. someone less expensive was part of it. That was really? part of the fallout with uh, Richard Pryor. I mean, I love Richard Pryor, but I don't think I don't think he can do this. I don't think he's got the acting ability to do this. You know, the, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's when you look at his career, you're like, I, he's got a, he, I mean, he's maybe never pushed himself, but it's a it's a pretty narrow range. Um, yeah, and you don't feel that one like. Bird is boyish, definitely, but he's not silly. Like he says, he has his, like, silly, silly. I mean, he says little witty things, you know, but he's not in, I don't know, I just don't see, and just Richard Pryor's look, like it just, yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe just because I've seen it, like I was like, I like what Forrest Whitaker did. Yeah. So it's yeah. Hard, hard to go back and imagine someone else. Well, you look at his body of work. I mean, he can he did like the Last King of Scotland. He can do accents. He can do um I, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm overstating my appreciation for him, but I, I think he's he's pretty damn good. Yeah. No, I think he's great. I agree. Even though he did Battlefield or Earth, we're gonna we're gonna sure. sw sweep that under the rug. Well, you do something bad to prove that you can, you have a totally wide range. <laughs> sure. I, I can do something terrible and I can do something great. That's just good career management right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he hasn't done too much, you know, he's in the Star Wars stuff, but, um, but he hasn't shown up all too much in the recent years. I mean, he's got the, the, the role in Arrival, which is a great movie. Well, he did the fucking... Wasn't he in The Butler? Wasn't that him? The Butler? Yeah. Wasn't that what's him? The, what's the Butler? <laughs> butler won, like, all kinds of fucking awards and shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that was 2013. Well, yeah, it was, was kind of recent. He was, he was in the crying game for Pete's sake. Was, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. The butler. Oh, yes, yes. Now I'm, yes. Lee Daniels. Shit, the, right, Lee Daniels, the butler. I never saw it, but. Here's a random question. What allows you, other than ego, to put your name in a title? Lee Daniels, exclam er, you know. I mean, it's definitely, like, a, it's definitely like a status thing, so I don't know. I guess you just asked you asked for it in the studio that says yes or no, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that happens. It's a it's a power move for sure. It's just Oh uh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> it's like like Clive Barker's got a couple of those. John Carpenter did on John all Carpenter's of those. John Carpenter's got <laughs> does, he, does he? Pretty much. Come on. Yeah. It's John fucking Is... Carpenter. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> 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 uh. <laughs> all, right. all right we don't need to remake this this is age appropriate for anyone who likes jazz i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if someone eventually yeah. made another movie about charlie parker though and of really course. really focused in on the music of it all that would not be surprising so the drummer for uh the rolling stones charlie watts uh who is also no longer with us i'm sure because we talked about him who knows um <laughs> he said that he really liked just the you know the 52nd street the vibe of that that time and you know that, that this yeah. the shot of the guy the whatever that guy was he was kind of uh going you know place to place and talking to everyone up and getting people off the street and, you know, oh yeah the here. white guy yeah the guy looked the like a bellhop concierge type yeah bellhop guy mm-hmm you know, like how alive the street was. Like, you mm -hmm. know, Charlie Watts really appreciated the movie just for that, just because he really wished he could have been there when this had yeah. happened. True. And you get that sense. You're like, wow, this is really happening. And then later, of course, the, the the clubs are all drying up and 
mm-hmm. there's strip clubs instead, you know, and, but that, I didn't realize it was such a short time period that they went from, you know, like post-war, you know, World War II to, to like this happening vibe in New York. Mm-hmm. And then pretty quickly, you know, it was just absorbed by bigger venues, rock and roll, louder music, you know, all that mm-hmm. other stuff. I mean, they didn't really, they didn't really play, I'm like, I'm glad they didn't really blame rock and roll. They, they sort of just said the scene dried up, you know, it was really yeah. happening for a while, you know? Yeah. Clubs on both sides of the street. Indeed. Anyway. But yeah, I can tell you as a kid that watched it back in the day, it's not for kids. Yeah, yeah. I had never, never watched this in 1988. Yeah. No. Even having some interest in jazz, it was like, I just didn't... I, I honestly don't remember anything about it. <laughs> Except yeah. maybe the iodine. I think I remember the iodine. <laughs> I was like, why is that red? That's weird. <laughs> All right, what are we doing next? Well... I got a feeling... Yeah? That you're going full Cohen. I am. I knew it. It's nearly Halloween. I knew that too. At the time of this <laughs> recording. <laughs> so I feel like I must honor the holiday. Yep. So I'm picking a horror, horror movie. movie. <laughs> uh, 90s, actually. Ooh. Yeah. Mixing it up, mofos. All right. Um, this, uh, we, uh, this is a double up from the director, actually. He directed Juice. Ernest Dickerson. Oh. He, made, he made a horror movie in 1995 as part of an anthology, a short-lived anthology. Oh, crap. Any I guesses? Know what this is. A short-lived anthology? The films were a short-lived anthology series. Uh, there was only two of them. This is the first one. Uh, based on a television series, which was based on a comic book. <laughs> Nothing? Uh, <laughs> I got nothing to hold on to so far other than 1995. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I should know since we talked about this guy, Ernest, I already forgotten his last name. Well, that that's not the important part, really. I mean, no? okay. how many horror comics were made into TV shows that were then made into movies? Oh. Jeez. Yeah, that's where I'm racking my brain. It's not like, like Spawn or something, isn't it? No. This, this is a, a, a this is a, uh. Okay. Uh, the first film Jada Pinkett was ever in. Oh, jeez. Also starring Billy Zane. Oh, crap. <laughs> I know this, and I can't... I'm As a demon. Oh, is it Demon Night? Yep. Oh, yeah. You love this <laughs> No, movie. it is not. It is... Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Yes. <laughs> nice. I haven't seen it since it came out, but I remember liking it a lot. <laughs> I really like this movie. You have it mentioned out. it. And I don't think I've seen it since, which is weird. But they made another one called Tales from the Crypt presents Bordello of Blood starring fucking yes. Dennis Miller. And it was not good, and I did not like it. I think I saw that one. <laughs> but this one I liked a lot. All right. So I'm curious if it holds up. I rem- I don't rem- I remember it, m- it moderately well. Like, I remember some scenes here and there. I remember the gist of it. But the specifics uh, escape me. Thomas Hayden Church is in it. Ah, you know where we can watch it? Uh, Yes. Can you tell us? <laughs> yes. I think you have to Pluto. rent it. Oh, yeah? Maybe. Um, hmm. I might have to, might, might have to rent it. And if you subscribe to Peacock, it's on there. Oh, <laughs> I do. Like, you do? Yeah, I just I I subscribe to everything. I was just going to say, nobody subscribes to Peacock. <laughs> it's it's essential for soccer. You have to have Peacock or you can't watch any I thought you Well, I thought you subscribed to Paramount for that. You do both? Paramount is for Champions League. Oh. <laughs> Liverpool just played and won today, which is, which is great. But so normally what, the league games are on Peacock. What's on Peacock? The, league, the regular league games. Soccer is very confusing. It, it's, it's I'm just aware constantly. of Premier League and La Liga. That's it. Yeah. La Liga a, teams compete against... 
Premier League teams in the Champions League, as well as all the you know all the other all the oh, European right. leagues. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, there's Paramount and there's Peacock. You gotta have that. Uh, ESPN Plus, if they're anyway. Uh... All right, <laughs> this is Whatever. really thrilling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares. Peacock, it's on Peacock. <laughs> yeah. Um, I might. I think I might own this. Do I own this? I don't know. I always lose track. I don't know what's going on. All right. So anyway, I mean, okay. a little bird told me that this was our best review ever. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was rough. Uh, one last little uh, uh, update from the nice people at HBO Max is that they are now featuring a number of our movies this month that we oh, yeah? reviewed. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. Fellas, Blood Simple, When Harry Met Sally. They've got huh. a lot of good ones there. I didn't, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't get a check. Oh, it's yeah, coming. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, come on, guys. Direct deposit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, that's enough movie buff. I'm out. All right. We'll see you next Thanks time for... when Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> that was jazzy.